Your neighbor Jim figured out that with MetroPCS, he gets unlimited data, talk, and text for $30, period. Babe, that color looks awesome. Just like he figured out that shopping with his wife will buy him a night with his buddies. That's Guy's Night Out figured out. You too figure it out. Switch to MetroPCS on the fast 4G LTE T-Mobile network for only $30, period. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Plan includes first one gigabyte of data at up to 4G LTE speeds. See store or MetroPCS.com for details and terms and conditions and data management info. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the T. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the TI. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I am blessed to have three great guests that I get to share with you this morning. So sit back, relax, let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next hour or so. First up with me this morning, I'm going to get a return visit from Steve Mona. I'm very honored to say this is Steve's fifth visit with me on the show. He is annually ranked among the top most powerful people in golf. And, and what I love most about having Steve on the show is talking with him about all the good things that the game of golf does for our communities and for our economy. So look forward to chatting with Steve about that. There, there's just so many benefits that doesn't get enough publicity, that don't get enough publicity, you know, about what goes on around the game of golf, like the $4 billion the tour annually gives back to charity. So guess what? You know, we're going to talk more about that. We'll also talk about the annual World Golf Day event from earlier this year that Steve was a part of, and he's going to be joining me here in just a few moments. Following Steve, we'll get a return visit from one of Golf Magazine's top 100 instructors. That's Kelly Stenzel. We'll hear more you know, of her tips for how we can improve our game and some of the things that we can take out with us on the golf course this weekend to help hopefully shave a few strokes, a few strokes off of our scores. Kelly's going to be along to join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll wrap up the show by talking with our good friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. We're going to get an update from Sean for you know what may be next for him at the end of this golf season and look, looking forward ahead to the 2016 golf season. Plus, you know, uh, you know, Sean you know, is so great about answering your questions, and we've got a batch of those as well. So he'll be answering more of those questions when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. So it's going to be another great show today, folks. I am so glad that you're here to take the journey with me. Next on the Tee, folks, is brought to you today and every weekend by our friends over at Seymour Putters. Let's get things rolling by hearing a word about our friends over there. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts. Shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius! It's like locking radar onto the target. In this case, the golf hole. Putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open, 2007 Masters, and 2015 British Open champions all used, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. 
So if you're ready to make more putts, take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and put a Seymour putter in your bag today. Yeah, like Joe said, check out the Rifle Scope technology that help win now three majors and 36 tour events and counting, and it's going to help you make more putts too. I know it's helping me. Check them out online at Seymour.com, and Seymour's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. We're also sponsored by the French Lick Resort in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to both play golf and to just relax and enjoy yourself at? Well, there isn't a better place anywhere on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com and see for yourself. I had the privilege of taking my family there back in June, and we're already looking forward to the next time we get to go back. The resort is historical. It's beautiful. They've got wonderful gardens out, by, uh, out back behind the resort, a relaxing rocking chair porch across the front of the resort, and the golf, my friends. Oh, my goodness, the golf. The Pete Dye course is kept in championship condition year-round, and they could be ready to host a major at a moment's notice. They hosted the Senior PGA Championship early this year in just a few weeks ago, the LPGA Legends Championship. So if you've always wondered what it would be like to play in major championship conditions, you can do it at the Pete Dye course. They also have the Donald Ross Design course, which is also fantastic. It's the site of Walter Hagen's PGA Championship victory back in 1924. They've also got the Valley Lynx course on the property that dates back to 1907. So the French Lick Resort needs to be on your list of places to stay and play. And oh, by the way, they've got a casino on the property as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. Also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, makers of top-quality made-in-the-USA shoes, uh, made-in-the-USA shoes, folks. Those shoes and the shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are what you know make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made-in-the-USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. They've been making shoes right here in the United States, in Wisconsin, since 1922. Check them out online at allenedmonds.com. Also want to kick off the show like we do every single week by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank you folks for your daily sacrifices and what you do every day to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything that our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. Also, we want to remind our veterans, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. What a wonderful site with great news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. Check it out in bookmark it. You're going to be very glad you did. All right, folks. Now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Steve Mona. Like I said a moment ago, privileged to say this is Steve's fifth visit with me here on the show. Let me remind you a little bit about his background. He is the CEO of the World Golf Foundation, the organization that manages the World Golf Hall of Fame, the first tee in Golf 2020. 
Going back to the 80s, Steve served as tournament director of the Northern California Golf Association. He then became assistant manager of press relations for the United States Golf Association from January of 82 to June of 83, at which time he became the executive director here, not far from here, where I'm at, for the, uh, the Georgia State Golf Association. In November 1993, he became the uh, chief executive officer uh, of, uh, of the Golf Course Superintendents Association uh, of America, which he held until March of 2008 when he assumed the role of chief executive officer at the World Golf Foundation. He is annually named by Golf Digest as one of the most powerful people in the game of golf, and I am very excited that he is back with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Steve. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Uh, it's good to be with you, Chris. I always enjoy uh, spending a few minutes with you. I appreciate it as well. And, Steve, I want to kind of start things off. Give us a health check on the game of golf. We hear so many negative things, it feels like, in the media these days for, you know, the the growth of the game and what's going on, you know, on the periphery of the game. What are you seeing? Well, my general response to that question is golf is healthy and certain segments of the game are doing very well. So let me explain what I mean by that. From the standpoint of golf at the facility level, we're right about at flat. We're just slightly up in terms of rounds played in 2015 versus 2014. And as we've discussed before, rounds played have basically stabilized over the last few years. Mm-hmm. So golf, golf is stable in, in that regard as far as a recreational game that you and I and 25 million other Americans play. But then golf, from the perspective as an entertainment sport, is extremely healthy. And you just have to look at what we saw this year with Jordan Spieth winning the first two majors and nearly winning the next two, and then Jason Day coming on so strong, and Rory Mm -hmm. McIlroy earlier in the year, and Ricky Fowler. So I would say that the the current state of the, the male professional game is extremely strong, and the future looks very bright. And then the women's game is very strong. We just saw a very exciting Solheim Cup, a lot of great uh, young stars on the uh, LPGA Tour as well. So from that perspective, uh, golf is uh, in very good hands. Yeah, and and, and, and and to your point, Steve, I mean, we have so many talented, on, on both the men's and the women's tour, so many talented young players. Right? It, it just feels like a youth, you know, in, you know, infusion going on in the game of golf at the professional level. You know, you mentioned, you know, Jordan Spieth and, and Jason Day, obviously Rory McIlroy, a, a little bit of a down year for Rory, more about health than anything else, but I'm sure, he, you know, he's going to come back strong. Ricky Fowler, you named as well. So we've got so many great, you know, young players on on the PGA Tour right now. Boy, it, it, to me, it, it feels more energetic than it's felt in years. I mean, we, you know, because we had Tiger who dominated the sport for so many years, and it felt like, you know, year in and year out, many guys were playing for second place. But, boy, these guys are jockeying for position all the time. Just when you think Jordan Spieth is going to start to dominate like Tiger did, Jason Day sort of finds himself, if you will, kind of got over the hump, if you will, and, and, and got that major monkey off his back. And, boy, he has just taken off ever since, and you can't discount Rory and, and Ricky. Talk about you know the energy that you feel right now in the on the PGA tour well no question about it and and I make a couple of important points beyond uh, how they're playing which is fantastic but number one uh, they represent themselves in the game so well they're mm-hmm. uh, people you, you would love for any of those four to be dating your daughter let me tell you and so um, that's one piece that I think is really important um, and then the second piece, which is really important for the game, is they're connecting with the millennial generation, which candidly is one of the areas that we as an industry are very focused on. And that is how do we reach 
the millennial generation? How do we bring them into the game in the same kinds of numbers and with the same kind of passion that we, the baby boomers, had for so many years? So right. they're really helping us to bridge that gap. So on, on those two dimensions, um, they, they've been a godsend for the game as well. And and Steve, as, as we talk about you know the youth and the energy coming up and, and building up the game of golf, boy, the national drive chip and putt competition has been you know a wonderful event, and you know we're, we're getting more and more young kids it seems like involved and excited about that event. I believe there have been 80 finalists already named and getting their tickets to Augusta next year. Talk about the growth of that event. Yeah, drive chip and putt has just been nothing short of remarkable. Uh, it's really just in its third year, if you think about it. So from starting at zero, it's now arguably the most well-participated-in junior activity as far mm-hmm. as an event um, on the golf calendar, if you will. And what's so great about it is it offers kids of all abilities the chance to compete because they go through three different sets of qualifying events before they reach Augusta National the uh, Sunday before the Masters, and then what an experience that is to actually be able to compete at Augusta National on the eve of the Masters and have many mm-hmm. competitors who will be playing in the Masters there to uh, to watch you compete. So fantastic event. I, gave, I give tremendous credit to the Masters Tournament and the Augusta National and also the USGA and the PGA of America who are part of this as well. And so those three organizations have done a great job really creating an event that um, has captured the imagination of America, both youth and adults as well. And speaking of capturing the imagination, it's a, it's a good transition. I'm interested to get your perspective on the Solheim Cup. You mentioned it a moment ago and the controversy that took place there, uh, you know, on the on the uh, second to last day and the U.S. women's, you know, big comeback and capturing the imagination of, you know, young female players to want to be a part of that event because, you know, the way, it, the way it transpired on the Saturday and the way it finished up on the Sunday – I think, you know, I'm hoping goes a long way to inspiring young girls to want to play and be a part of the game. Well, there's no question about that. And I think, again, on two dimensions there, you get the whole nationalism and representing your country, and who doesn't want to do that? So that alone brings a lot of attention and brings a lot of national pride into the equation. So that's a big piece of what the Solheim Cup's about. And same with the Ryder Cup, obviously, and the President's Cup as well. But the second thing and this was really apparent this year, is that competition is intense. This isn't any exhibition. And these are young ladies, for the most part, really putting it all out on the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Notwithstanding the whole issue on the was the putt conceded, was it not, which I think we would all agree was an unfortunate incident. Uh, But notwithstanding that, um, that was a tremendously well-competed, if you will, event in terms of the passion and just the effort that those ladies were putting in to um, to trying to win their match on behalf of their country. So on that basis, that, I think, transcends gender even. I think, man, I know myself, I mean, it was very interesting just to see the pure competition that was going on. So that's good for the game, too. So the Solheim Cup really is um, definitely an event that um, brings a lot of interest to the women's game and um, is something that uh, I think will ultimately be a, an excellent vehicle in driving greater interest and participation in the game among women and girls. And you, you mentioned a moment ago, Steve, the, the President's Cup, and talk about you know the, the growth of the game globally. 
Um, I think the President's Cup has done a great job in you know bringing in the you know we 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 so we're so focused on the Ryder Cup right with what goes on between the USA and and the European team, but now we're we we expand out with the President's Cup and we bring in the rest of the world into this. Talk about you know we're nine days away from from that event you know kicking off. Talk about the significance of what the President's Cup has had. Well, uh, I would mention a couple things. First, obviously, it, it brings in the rest of the world minus Europe. So you get um, the best from South Africa, you get the best from Australia, from all the various Asian countries. So mm-hmm. uh, that alone gives it a different dimension. But the thing I'm really interested in this year is watching it uh, unfold in South Korea. It's the first time for the President's Cup to be played in that part of the world. As we all know, Korea is mad about golf and has tremendous has a tremendous track record in terms of the women's professionals mm-hmm. and how dominant they are, um, but, but men are coming on pretty strong as well. So we really look at this as an opportunity uh, to, one, showcase the game uh, at the highest level in that part of the world, but, two, to create greater interest and participation. So uh, the President's Cup just didn't wind up in South Korea by accident. It's there to do those two things, and we – we're really confident that when when we leave and it's all uh, said and done, and I'm sure it'll be a great competition, there will be people in both South Korea but in other uh, sectors in that part of the world that will have a greater interest uh, in the game, and hopefully that will lead to uh, more participation in the game. And we think that um, some of the young people, the very talented young people, will be inspired to try to um, play at the highest possible level and maybe become part of the President's Cup as a competitor one day. Yeah, and it's interesting when when we look at you know the event being over there, and you know a lot of some of the advertisement travel advertisements are you know it's sort of a gateway now to maybe go spend some time in Japan or over in China, and we're seeing such great growth you know particularly on the women's side like you mentioned uh, for the game of golf over in that part of the world. But talk about you know not only in South Korea but how we're seeing the game sort of expand now that we are seeing it come alive in the country of uh, of China. Well, uh, China, as we all know, is uh, basically the, the biggest economy now in the world or, or runs neck and neck with the United States. Um, it's got, as we all know, uh, what, six or seven times the amount of people we have in the U.S. So China as a country has got tremendous uh, potential where the game of golf is concerned, both uh, from a interest standpoint and a participation standpoint. And I think what's key and gets overlooked a lot is the fact that uh, golf becoming part of the Olympics, and obviously will debut in 2016 after a 100-plus year hiatus, um, is going to be critical for the growth of the game in countries where golf hasn't been part of the culture, at least the kind of rank-and-file culture, if you will, um, for years, if ever. And China's going to be one of those places. And what will happen is two things. One, you'll see at a competitive level, there will be the, the best athletes in China who have shown a proclivity for playing golf well will be trained at the highest level. You may know that Greg Norman uh, is advising the China national team, so they're going to get the best um, as it relates to that. Um, so they'll, they'll compete. Now, whether they'll be on the medal stand uh, next year in Rio, I don't know, but they're going to compete, and over time, you will see that occur. But the second thing that I think a lot of people lose sight of is that um, all countries that are part of the Olympic Games are required to offer a grassroots training program 
uh, among the citizens of, of that country for whatever Olympic sport they participate in. Now, in a country like the United States, we have all kinds of programs here, and we've talked about some already. That's really not going to be um, any kind of uh, boon to our player development. But you take a country like China and others where golf has not really been part of the culture, the mainstream culture of sport, uh, that's going to increase. So we're really very hopeful that over time, and it'll take a, probably a generation or maybe even two to really take hold, but we're hopeful that you'll see golf become more part of the mainstream of society, of sporting society in a country like China. And then if we get our fair share on a percentage basis of people playing golf in a huge country like China, that could translate into a lot of people. So that's mm-hmm. the hope that um, we believe the, the the promise of the Olympics, if you will. Yeah, and to, just to kind of continue down the Olympics path, you know, we we're hearing different things about you know how how preparations are going uh, for the events uh, down in Rio. What are you hearing about the golf event and uh, how it's shaping up and how it's going to be played down there? Yeah, the golf course is going to be fine. I mean, there were a lot of fits and starts there. There were some times where. There was discussion about, well, maybe we need to find another golf course. It, right. It's been designed. It's grown in. There's going to be um, at least one uh, competition that's going to take place earlier in 16 so we can get a dry run around the golf course, see how it plays from a competitive standpoint and all the logistics that you have have to have in place. So w- we feel confident that the golf uh, event will come off uh, fine because we've got the PGA Tour the LPGA Tour, the USGA, the RNA, the PGA European Tour, LPGA, they're all behind it, and they're all putting their um, best people on the case, if you will. So we're we're quite confident um, that that will come across uh, very well, and it needs to because what a lot of people don't realize is that in 2017, the IOC is going to make a decision as to what sports will continue in the Olympics in 2024 and beyond. And it's important to note that golf is only guaranteed a a spot in the 2016 Olympics and then the 2020 Olympics in Japan. And then we're not guaranteed past that. So we have to really put our best foot forward in 16 so that the IOC will continue to allow golf to be part of the Olympic program in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, and that's an and that's an excellent point. So there's a lot of folks that have a stake in this, right? So I'm I'm assuming, and you know, keep me honest here, Steve, that you know the USGA and and you know the RNA and everybody else has sort of got a got a stake in how successful this thing is. So I'm imagining you've got a lot of brain trust down there trying to make sure everything uh, you know comes off as it's supposed to. Well, let me put it to you this way: from the standpoint of the development of the game worldwide. There's no more important event that's going to take place in 2016 than the Olympics. I can assure you that. And the whole reason, and I was in the boardrooms when all these conversations were occurring, the main reason that we did this and and really, frankly, made a lot of sacrifices um, for, for golf to become part of the Olympics as it related to other events that are going to take place around that time was that we felt that there was nothing we could do that could help generate greater interest and participation in the game worldwide than having golf be part of the Olympics. And that's why we put so much effort, resources, both financial and human, behind this. So it's really important for for those Olympic Games, um, golf's piece of it, if you will, to come off mm-hmm. as well as possible. 
Uh, and I'm assuming that message is filtered down to the players about how how big a deal this is going to be. And I know it's just an, it's another event on their calendar for 2016, but this does have a have a broader impact to the game of golf. And uh, like I say, I'm, I'm imagining that's gotten down to the players as well. Absolutely. I mean, when we talked to some of the leading players uh, when we were going through this process, because the IOC made it clear to us that we needed to be able to deliver the best athletes in our sport. Well, those are professionals in the sport of golf, as you know. Mm-hmm. So we had to be able to get, to the extent we could, assurances that, hey, if you qualify, uh, are you going to play? And we got assurances from all the top players. Uh, a lot of them actually became part of the bid process. Uh, Padre Carrington did. Michelle Wee did. People like that, they actually accompanied some of our officials to certain of the meetings. So we we have the assurance of those players that if they qualify, they'll be there competing and giving it their all. And that's that's critically important. So one, we have to have the best players there who are eligible. And then two, the the event itself has to come off really well. The TV visuals have to come across well. The competition has to be compelling. We have the least control over that. So hopefully um, we'll have a compelling competition. But everything has to come off pretty much exactly right for us and if that happens then we're pretty confident we'll be part of the olympics um going forward and how you know for for the players obviously they're going to want to play well because it is so important and they're going to want to you know make sure that you know their game is obviously in, in tip-top shape but you know going down there practice rounds and, and and knowing the golf course what impact is that going to have on the uh on the schedule for next year well, Ted, as you probably know, it's had to be moved around. So yep. what's going to occur on the men's side is you're going to have the Open Championship, and then two weeks later uh, you're going to have the PGA Championship. So the PGA Championship is going to move in the late July. It's going to move right. up about two weeks. Um, and then you'll have an, another week um, off, so to speak, and then you'll have the Olympic competition. And then you'll come back off of that, and then you'll get into the um, FedEx Cup of FedEx, right. uh, slightly thereafter. So, so a lot of things have been moved around. There's some events uh, like the John Deere Classic is going to take place at a different time. The Travelers next year. So there's, but I'll tell you what the the tournament directors and the sponsors of all these events. I have to give them a tremendous amount of credit because they've all taken the bigger picture and the long view. What what they said is, yeah. This one year, it's going to inconvenience us, and maybe our event uh, doesn't come off maybe as well as it did in previous years. Um, but we're going to basically take one for the team because the bigger picture here is we're getting the getting our sport on an international stage, unlike any other international stage that exists, and we're and we're creating an opportunity for our game to be put in front of audiences that never before would have been exposed to the game. And so, what's the price tag of that? And and how else can you get that done? The answer right. is, there's no other way to do it than to be part of the Olympics. And you know, to that point, I mean, no no one likes to go in if you're running one of those events, you know. And and it, I can certainly get on board. I'm sure they're getting on board with taking one for the team. Are they being compensated a little bit? Is there something in it for them if they says, "Hey, look, you know, over the years we've you know we've been able to raise X. This year it's Y because we took one for the team. Is that going to be offset somehow for those guys?" Well, each of the um, events is basically its own has its own P and L um, and mm-hmm. its own structure. So it's really I, I I'm not privy to all the machinations there. I will tell you this that, uh, and this is probably the best way to answer your question. 
um, at the PGA Tour level and in, in the LPGA Tour level, the events that have been impacted and have had to move around and maybe in the places that are not quite ideal for them, there will be consideration for that going forward, trust me, because yeah. that's the way the PGA Tour takes the long view on things, and they 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 realize that their tournaments really, that's their product, and they have to support the tournaments to the best extent possible. So there will be, I'll put it to you this way, if you talk to the tournament directors, a few years afterwards, they'll, they'll tell you, yes, um, we, it all came out in the wash, so right. and we wound up fine. Steve, just a couple more before we let you go. We've got our next guest, Kelly Stenzel, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Kelly in just a moment. Um, one of the things that I always like for you to share when you come on the show is the amount of money that the PGA raises for charity. Do, do you know yet how much money golf is, is looking to give back to charity so far this year? Well, the um, the statistic, and we've talked about this before, Chris, is um, golf, and I'm talking about the whole game, not just the PGA Tour now. Right. Um, but golf as an industry uh, generates and creates close to $4 billion. The actual number is $3.9 billion per year for charity. And the way that breaks down, and by the way, just to put that in some context, that is more money than the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL combined create for charity Mm -hmm. but the way that breaks down is chris it's mostly being generated at the facility level so there are just to give you some basic math fifteen thousand plus or minus it's a little higher than that golf courses in the u.s 75 percent of golf courses conduct charitable events during the course of the year so that's roughly about twelve thousand each course on average host 12 events a year. So that's 144,000 events that occur each year on golf courses across the United States. And each event on average generates a little bit north of $28,000 net for charity. Mm-hmm. So that's where that big number comes from. The PGA Tour uh, last year in 2014 generated $141 million for charity. That was a record number. And the PGA Tour is uh, generated over $2 billion in charity since um, it started that model many years ago. But the real strength of golf's charitable impact comes from those 144 events, 144,000 events at the na- at, at 12,000 of the nation's facilities. And the other thing I would say, two other quick points. One is, is that almost all of the money that gets generated by golf goes to causes outside of golf. So it might be the Cancer Society, the Humane Society, whatever the case might be. Um, and in number two, in a lot of cases, a uh, particularly for local charities, a substantial amount of their annual budget is generated by their charitable golf tournament. So golf is actually helping to drive in a very real way um, the success of a lot of local charities. So I think those are two important points that get overlooked. Yeah, and, that, and that's and that's why I want you to share it, Steve, when you come back on the show all the time. And I thank you for for you know being willing to do that. I know I ask that question to you a lot, but I I never want that point to get lost or forgotten. I don't I don't think it gets enough play. So I appreciate that uh, that you come on and you share it with me when when you're a part of the show. One one last point before I let you go, Steve, and 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 just on a personal level for you, I imagine it is difficult. For you, regarding you know like golf equipment that you play and the and the brands of things that you wear, because like I mentioned at the top, you're always one of the most influential people in the game, and and I'm imagining that everyone wants you to play their clubs and wear their brand of clothes. How how is it for you to try to be as neutral as you can? 
Well, I do try my best, but at the end of the day, you have to play with something. I, I do have <laughs> a fair amount of equipment and apparel, and I, I do my best to um, to rotate as much as I can. Um, so kind of hurts I, your game, your, Well, uh, it, it, yeah, I'm not that great a player to begin with, okay? I'm a, I'm a 10 handicap. I'm a, I'm a nine point something index so uh it's okay chris trust me so, um but i but i do um i uh i do let me put it this way i do like to promote as many different brands and as many different destinations as i can through what i wear and what i play so I'll there you go. go all right steve thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show it's always such a privilege to get the opportunity to talk with you. Remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the things that you're doing, both online and over social media. Well, the easiest thing um, would be to go to uh, worldgolffoundation.org uh, or wgf.org um, and or golf2020.org. Those are the two easiest ways to keep up with us uh, online. And then also um, wearegolf.org. Uh, uh, as well, because that, uh, we didn't really talk about our uh, government relations efforts, but that speaks to all of uh, what we're doing in Washington, and it's and it actually goes beyond that too. So those three, any of those three, uh, World Golf Foundation, Golf 2020, or We Are Golf, all dot orgs, uh, will get you into the um, kind of into the inner circle, if you will. There you go. All right, Steve, thank you so much again for being a part of the show. I really value your time. Uh, all the best to you and your family. Look forward to the opportunity to catch up with you again, I hope, real soon. I hope so, too, Chris. Great to be with you. All right. Take care, Steve. You, too. That's Steve Mona. Wow. What a, what a great opportunity it is always to get the opportunity to uh, to talk with Steve, the, uh, the chief executive officer at the World Golf Foundation, and they do so many good things. And like, like I say, I, I appreciate the fact that Steve continues to come back, and I always like to make sure that he makes the point about how much money the game of golf is generating back for local communities and charities, you know, all around the country. So doing great things, I think that's a very important point that too often uh, doesn't get enough uh, enough airplay. All right, we've got our next guest, Kelly Stenzel, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Kelly on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Kelly Stenzel. Let me remind you about Kelly's background. She's from Geneva, New York, which is upstate between Buffalo and Syracuse. She played four years of college golf at Furman, and during her senior season, she led her team to a second-place finish in the NCAA Finals. After college, she played professionally for five years on the Futures Tour, the European Tour, Asian Tour, South African Tour, and Australian Tour. She turned her attention to teaching, and Golf Magazine has named her one of the top 100 teachers every year since 2009. And Golf for Women Magazine has named her one of their top 50 instructors. And to put icing on the cake, Golf Magazine has also named her one of the most beautiful women in golf. And I am delighted that she is back with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. How's, how have things been with you? It's been far too long since I had the opportunity to talk with you. I know. It's been a long time. I'm glad to be with you this morning. We, we had a good summer up in New York. We spent a couple of months up there, but now I'm back in sunny South Florida getting ready to organize all our teaching events and, and golf events this, this coming season for uh, Palm Beach Par 3 and Boca Raton Resort and Club. So it's, it's all good down here. 
There you go. And now, now before we get into all the golf this morning, Kelly, I remember from our last conversation, you having grown up near Buffalo and now living down in Florida, you're a big Bills fan and a Dolphins fan. And, and this weekend, they play each other. So who are you rooting for? They do. You know, I always find that I end up deferring back to the Bills. As much as I like the Dolphins and uh, I'm a big fan of Steve Ross, who's their owner, um, I, I defer back to the Bills. It's just it's just in my blood. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> All right. Now, you know, it's been, like I say, almost a year since we've had the opportunity to talk with you. So curious, you know, I love your website, kellystenzogolf.com. Talk about what uh, what's going on and what's the latest uh, around your golf game. Well, you know, I'm really happy to say I've added a facility this this past year, we are now running the instruction at Boca Raton Resort and Club, which is just a beautiful place. The hotel is amazing. We have a thousand hotel rooms and a very friendly membership, and it's just a beautiful place down in Boca Raton, South Florida. So we uh, we have a nice staff down there of very qualified professionals, and we run monthly golf schools and daily clinics, and it's uh, been fun to really kind of have a new place to really grow and um, they really didn't have a lot going on down there, so it's been really a great first year, and we're looking forward to an even better second year. Ah, good for you! Congratulations. Thanks. It's fun. Kelly, talk about being named one of the most beautiful women in golf by Golf Magazine. It seems like that has become a bit of a controversial topic every year as Golf Magazine looks to put out its new cover. Is it among lady golfers and your peers? Do you feel like it takes anything at all away from how great you and your peers on the LPGA play the game? You know, it's funny. I, I'm going to tell you about my experience with it. I don't think I really realized what was happening. I mean, I was honored to be included i thought it was very nice and when i showed up for the photo shoot and this was a few years ago now quite three years ago i brought golf clothes because i'm used to going to photo shoots and i just always bring my own golf clothes well fortunately jessica marksbury who's really a great girl and she had clothes for me i didn't realize it was quite such a fashion shoot but i thought it was very tastefully done I thought that kind of what they did with each individual woman was matching her personality, mine being a little more conservative, so my outfits were more conservative. But, no, I don't think it takes anything away. I think it's just another side of, you know, it's another side of the business. It's another side of me and kind of what I do. And I Mm -hmm. was proud to be included just because I thought they were, with what they brought for me to wear and how they represented me was true to me. And, you know, girls are a little, some women are a little more, want to dress a little more sexy, and that's their choice. And I thought they did a good job of being true to the individual person doing the shoot. And like I said, I just think it's just another side of each each person. Yeah. And and they, they really allowed me to be me. And I, I, they enabled me to talk about, you know, back when I was playing and I played with the King of Malaysia. So it was, right. it was they did a nice job of being true to each individual person that they've chosen. So now that you, you've thrown out the King of Malaysia, you shared the story with us last time, but it's been a while. Do you, you mind sharing that story again, what that was like? Yeah, it was. I was playing the Ladies' Asian Tour, and I was back in my hotel room waiting to play in the Pro-Am, and my all my friends were out at the golf course, and they, they called me back at the hotel, and they said, listen, you've got to hurry. You've got to get to the golf course because you've been paired with the King of Malaysia. Said, you guys are crazy. There's just you're, you're, I figured they were just absolutely <laughs> kidding me. So... I go back to my room, and I'm thinking, and I thought, well, I better go just in case. 
they're telling me the truth. So I hop on the bus and I get out there, and sure enough, I was lucky enough to be paired with the King of Malaysia, and it was really just an amazing experience. He could not have been nicer. He had his whole entourage with his little person who carried his golf shoes and his royal golf cart and motorcycles went out ahead of us and cleared the hole. And he, uh, it was, it was just really, it was a really fun day. He couldn't have been nicer. He arranged for me and all of my friends to tour the palace. It was really just, you know, one of those moments that we're lucky because we're in the world of golf that opened the doors to us. And it was really just a great experience. So there wasn't the, the night before a pairings party and all of a sudden they're picking names out of a hat and there's Kelly Stenzel and the King of Malaysia. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really a, a surprise given to me that day and it was it was a lot of fun. Kelly, I'm curious now about your, your alma mater. They continue to be a force in, in ladies' college golf. Finished second this year at the Lady Paladin Invitational this past week, and a couple of their players finished just behind Allison Houston, a, friend, a uh, freshman from Clemson who ended up taking the individual honors. But a lot of the, you know, the players from, from, uh, from, your, from your alma mater were right there at the top of the leaderboard. Do you keep up with what's going on with uh, ladies' golf at Furman? I do a little bit. You know, it was a great experience for me. I grew up, like as we mentioned, in western New York and to go down to Greenville, South Carolina and get this amazing education, and we traveled all over the country playing in our tournaments. I do keep up with it a little bit, maybe not as much as I should, but it's great to see the team doing well again. And, you know, they have a little bump in the road with the men's team, but we're able to raise some money and kind of keep that going. So it's uh, nice to see them doing really well. You know who's done amazing, though, is my, the coach when I was there, Mick Potter. He's at Alabama, and he's just he, – he is an amazing coach. He was an amazing coach to me. I got so much better in four years under his guidance, and he has taken Alabama to a whole other level. So it's nice to see Mick doing well, and it's nice to see the Lady Paladins doing well. Yeah, to your point, I was going to ask you about you know the influence that he had over you. You talk about him being a, an amazing coach. What are some of the things that he instilled in you that helped develop your game? Well, when I went to Furman, honestly, I, I think I thought I was better than I was 80, but not all the time, that's for sure. And he was just a great coach, a great motivator. He We had fun, but he was able to really get – a lot out of each player. I think he made each player the best that they could be. And by the time, you know, I graduated, I was good enough to try to play professionally. And he was just a huge, huge part of that. And, it, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the game being fun, Kelly, I'm I'm curious, when, you know, like I said in your intro, when you turned pro, you played on several different tours over in Europe and Asia and South Africa and Australia. So you're sort of jumping from continent to continent like that. Was 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 the game fun back then, or, or was that part of the reason you looked at it like, you know, boy, this is sure, you know, all this travel sure is a grind. Did it, and it, did, it, did that rob some of the fun of playing the game from you? No, you know, it's funny, Chris. It was almost the opposite effect. When I graduated from Furman, I turned professional, and I started playing the Futures Tour. And I didn't love it. Not that I didn't like the playing. I just didn't love the small. It was almost a little bit too small town. I grew up in a small town, and I really wanted to see a bigger world. So we changed our minds and decided to skip off of the future tour and go play, as you, as you mentioned, almost every foreign tour to women. We were, we were 
We were yeah. 22. We were young. I traveled with Kathy, Kathy Hart, who's Kathy Hartwood now. Um, and we just had a ball. We were 22. We're traveling the world. We're playing professional golf. People would welcome us into their home and show us their country. It was it was not a grind at all. It was, if anything, it was a little bit too much fun because <laughs> it was. I mean, we just had the best time. People couldn't have been nicer. You know, we spent two years in South Africa. You know, a month at a time. And the South Africans were just so welcoming and warm and loved the country. So it was, we we still look back at it and say, boy, we were really lucky. We appreciated it then, but I think now we appreciate it more. It was a wonderful experience. I would recommend any golfer who's coming out of college who maybe isn't quite good enough to go play a foreign tour because it really just opens your eyes. And typically the people there are very, very welcoming. That's great. And Kelly, let's let's talk about some of the tips that uh, our listeners can find. Like I mentioned on your website, kellystenzel.com. You can also find them out on YouTube as well. And, and so many of we weekend hackers have a problem with slicing the ball. I know my buddy Bob hasn't seen woods that uh, he hasn't loved being in. So talk about an, a drill or an adjustment that we can make that can help us hit more fairways. You know, I'll I'll tell you that. I don't think I have any students that chronically slice the ball because they can't stand it. It's such a distance robber. It's almost a little bit depressing. You know, you think you've made pretty good contact and that ball goes out there and all of a sudden it takes for a right-handed golfer. So it's it's definitely fixable. And don't hesitate to go off the beaten path a little bit and do these things to the extreme because there's nothing more welcoming than a hook to a slicer. So the first thing I would do is get in there and be pretty extreme with the grip. Because the way you position your hands onto the grip of the club, that controls the club face. So you've got to get club face control. So what I would do for a right-handed golfer is take both of your hands and rotate them more to the right. So on your left hand, you'd be seeing more knuckles. And don't hesitate to do it a lot. I mean, see two, three, four knuckles. Really turn it over. And as you turn that left hand over, turn that right hand under. So you're turning both hands to the right. When you turn that right hand under, go ahead and see some fingernails. Go ahead and take it to the extreme. You can always come back. You can always do it less. So the first thing I would do is go ahead and get a good grip on there and start to get that club face a little more square to even a little bit closed. And then my other kind of generic piece of advice would be to make sure that on your backswing, talk about a right-handed golfer here, make sure that your left underarm stays right against your chest. Don't let it come away. Don't let it roll over your chest because both of those motions would open the face. So mm-hmm. really, really strong grip. Turn both hands way to the right and keep that left arm really close to keep that face square in the back spine. I'd start there. Ah, that's a great tip. And one of the other tips, Kelly, that that I, you know, I, I thought, hmm, that's, un- that's unconventional, but a great idea. Is one of the tips that I, I've seen uh, is wh- where you show the ball kind of nestled into the rough, just, you know, off the back part of the green. And, and since we all like to think that we're Phil Mickelson and we can hit these spectacular <laughs> flop shots when, in fact, we really can't, you show an interesting tip for hitting, you know, that shot with a putter, just sort of adjusting your posture a bit. Walk us through how we should deal with that shot. Yeah, Chris, it's always max, uh, minimizing risk with everything really that I teach. So if you're not quite perfect, that you're still going to be, okay, I like to say if it doesn't show up on the scorecard if you make a mistake. 
So when that ball's buried in the rough, but just like a step or two off of the green, you can still putt that, and it doesn't look like you should be able to just because you see that rough. Right. You can take your norm, take your normal putting setup, and then put a lot of your weight on your forward foot, so that your forward shoulder drops down. When you make your normal putting stroke from there, what'll happen is the putter will come in at a little bit of a steeper angle of attack, a little bit more like a V. And what that does is great here is it gets the ball slightly airborne. It'll pop up over that rough grass around the edges of the green, start rolling. So it's really not making any contact with that initial grass. It takes a little bit of practice because it's hard to believe that you don't need to add power. But you'll see when you get that much lean in the shaft and lean in the shoulder that the ball does actually jump right over that first cut of rough. And Kelly, when when you're preparing to go play a round of golf, you know, do you have a stretching routine or a particular way that that you like to warm up? That you know, I mean, so many of us, right? We we get to the golf course a few minutes before our tee time. We rush out to the practice tee if we have time. We'll hit a couple of drives and then you know, boom, we're off to the first tee. Do you have a routine that that you know would probably be a better idea for us to follow? Well, you know, I think that we all deal in reality and that there is not a lot of a lot of time. So, you know, my routine varies whether I'm playing a charity event like you talked about earlier. That's, that's most of my golf right now is just charity, charity golf tournaments for fun. So let's say I only have that five minutes. Let's talk about reality first. I'll hit a few pitch shots with my sand wedge, and then I try to really quickly touch on each family of my club. So I might hit a short iron, or two, a hybrid or two, a fairway wood or two, and then three or four drives, and then go back to that sandwich pitch shot. So I feel like I'm just quickly warming up each area. If I were preparing to play in a tournament that I actually had to keep score, I would follow a similar order, but I would putt. I would maybe putt for 15 minutes first to get a feel for the speed of the greens through my bag in a similar way that I mentioned before, but hit a few more balls with each club, and then I would go back to the putting green and putt for another 15 minutes. So if I'm keeping score, there's a lot of my warm-up time that involves that putting green and getting a feel for the speed of the green. Mm -hmm. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your stories and your tips with us. It's uh, it's always amazing to get uh, to get to spend some time with you. Remind our listeners how they can follow you both online and over social media. If I would love to have them visit my website. It's kellystencilgolf.com, and I'm going to be coming out with some DVDs in the next month or so that we filmed Full Swing, Short Game, and Bunker, because I know a lot of uh, golfers don't love that bunker. So yes. I would love to have you visit the website and maybe digitally download those, and also you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Kelly Stencil Golf. That's awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for coming back on the show today. I hope it won't be as long you know, between visits this next time around because uh, you're a delight. Well, thanks, Chris. It's always a lot of fun anytime I'm available. I appreciate it, Kelly. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. You too, Chris. Thank you. Take care. That's Kelly Stenzel. Again, Kelly Stenzel Golf. And let me make sure I, I, I spell it out for you here because she spells her, her first name with an I-E. So it's K-E-L-L-I-E and Stenzel is S-T-E-N-Z-E-L. So KellyStenzelGolf.com. Great stuff on there. A lot of great videos, a lot of great tips. They're going to help you uh, shave some strokes off your score. All right, we've got our next guest, Sean McKeel, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Sean on the other side of uh, this word from our friends over at the French Lick Resort. 
You just can't beat this weather. The leaves are starting to change. It's the perfect time to get away to French Lick Resort and play the courses the champions play. This year, the Pete Dye course at French Lick has hosted the Senior PGA Championship and the legends of the LPGA Championship. Play our Donald Ross course and feel like 1924 PGA champion Walter Hagen. Fall is the perfect time to play the courses the champions play at French Lick Resort. Book our Hall of Fame package now at FrenchLick.com. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now back with me to answer more of your questions on the Seymour Putters guest line is our good friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. Hey, Sean, how have you been, my friend? Hey, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I'm good. So... Sean, a, a couple of questions before we get into our viewers' questions or listeners' questions. I, I want to get uh, your thoughts on a couple of things. I want to start by you know getting your thoughts on the on the controversy last week at the at the Solheim Cup and the match between Allison Lee and Brin, uh, Brittany Lincecum and Charlie Hall and Suzanne Pedersen. If if, if that yeah. had been you, and you know and you stroke that putt and your competitors walked off the the, the green like that over towards the next tee, would you have considered it a gimme? Uh, I, I suppose so. Um, you know that. Look, obviously not being there, it's hard to hard to put myself in that situation. I just know that. Um, you know, I've not ever, you know, given a putt or picked up a putt without, you know, either saying or hearing something from the guy or the team that I'm playing against. Um, you know, it was kind of unusual, and I didn't I didn't see it happen live, um, so I don't know if both ladies walked off the green or if it was just Charlie Hull that walked off the green. And, uh, you know, I think I'd read something that she was going over to, well, at least her justification was I'm going to go over and consult with, you know, with Suzanne to um, ask her about conceding the putt. I think that's what I read, but no, I, I would have certainly uh, I've loved to have heard someone say that's good. Um, uh, I guess it was Allison Lee said she heard someone say that. Um, you know, things, you know, you hear that in the crowd all the time. You'll hit a, you'll hit a shot from the fairway or whatever, and you'll hit it a foot and go out. You'll hear somebody go, oh, that's good. Pick it up. You know, so it's hard to say. There's, there's a lot of things in play. There's a lot of, a lot of discussion going back and forth. And really only Allison Lee, um, who was, you know, it was her, her putt, her responsibility to make sure that she either made the putt or she heard one of the, one of Suzanne or, uh, Charlie Hall, you know, kind of voiced that out. I, I think what would, and I've not heard this yet, and this is only a suggestion, but it would make sense to me that if if a referee is with every group, um, why not let the referee make the determination in whether the hole um, has been completed or not? You know, it's okay for, you know, the the playing partner to say pick it up, and once the referee hears that, then he or she will say, "Hey, the hat, the hole is halved in four, or, you know, whatever the whatever the case may be." It would be, and maybe that's a way to kind of clarify some of these things because, you know, you get people yelling from the crowd and, and right a little bit of, a little bit of gamesmanship, and it could have been a little bit bit of gamesmanship on the part of the European team. I I doubt that. I I really doubt that. So late in the match, I don't know if you'd wait that long to do that. I don't think you're gonna. Tell your partner, hey, let's wait till they get a one footer and let's try to trick. I, I just don't, I don't think that was part of it. But, but some people have thought that. And, and, and you know, going back to what you said, yes, I think that when you walk off the green like that, you are, 
kind of indicating that, but that it's good. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you're playing blackjack in Vegas. If you want to stand, you can't just say I'm good. You actually have to wave your hand over the cards so the camera picks it up. So, right. you know, I don't know. I think I just think a simple solution would be to allow the referee to do it. You got to, you got, you know, several, you know, just few teams. You got enough people out there to to do that. Um, but just I know from my experiences in match play that the verbalizing um, and hearing, um, you know, the, the giving of a putt uh, is or the hole or whatever the case may be is is what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. And you and you have played a lot of match play events, and you've been you know in and around the tour for for a lot of years. You know, Sean, have you seen mm-hmm. examples out there about you know bad sportsmanship that you know whether whether you had to deal with it? And it's certainly probably not at this level, but you know something that you know occurred out there, and, and you don't have to name names if you don't want. But just I'm just sort of curious where you where you thought to yourself, really, man? Uh, no, I mean there's you know there's stories. You know, um, certainly uh, any of the any of the Ryder Cups going back to you know where Paul Azinger and Seve Ballesteros and kind of late '80s, early '90s, mid '90s um, type of stuff, just gamesmanship. You know, people jiggling coins in their pocket. Um, you know, giving a putt on one hole and not giving a shorter putt on the next hole. Um, you know, coughing in people's swings. Um, starting. Have to you walk seen that? When you're, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it happen a couple times, um, you know. Wow. But it, it was a long time ago, and um, I don't know. I, I it just I don't I don't really understand it. I mean, I think any advantage that you try to try to gain, um, you know, needs to be done with your play, not with some of the other stuff. I mean, what, what does it matter? The guy's still got to hit a shot. I mean, um, you know, you see those in other sports. You know, you see people, and you know, when they're playing basketball, that the the people, the fans, through the you know the, the you know the fans are waving towels or pom poms or whatever the case may be, and and try to distract a, uh, someone from shooting a free throw or um, you know, and you know, it's unfortunate uh, that some of these things have happened. Um, you know, there's people that that slow play other players. Um, they intentionally speed up their play. There's, I think there's a lot of things to do, and I think if you have to resort to those type of tactics, and you're not very confident in your ability to beat your opponent, and um, I don't know, maybe I'm just too nice of a person. I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I just, I, w- I wouldn't do that. I'm not a, um, you know, win at all costs type of person, and I think I've learned that. And maybe it's because I haven't won as much, I, and that, and that may be part of it. it it's a it's a game that you know I've not I've not won very I've won a, quite a few tournaments but only on the tour have I won one and that's obviously the highest level so maybe um, maybe I have some pacifist in me I don't know I don't I don't um, you know I, I I'm not really one to back down from things but at the same time maybe I'm just too good of a sport it's the one thing that I try to convey to my children. Um, and it's if you ever if you ever watch me or come to one of my child's soccer games, you'll see me. I'm at the far end of the field. I've, I've just gotten so disturbed and disgusted by the parenting um, of some of these teams yelling at the refs, yelling at their kids, yelling to take out other players. I just I just don't want to be a part of it. And so maybe some of that um, killer instinct is gone for me. I, I don't know. Um, maybe I've just kind of gotten a little bit more mature, but. But the gamesmanship has been out there for a long time. It's it's rampant in, um, 
you know, from the 80s and 90s, all the stories that, that I mentioned earlier about Paul yeah. Azinger and Seve Ballesteros and those types of things. Um, you know, you mind so, sure? I'm, I'm sure our listeners now are going, they can't remember, you know, it may not have even been around in the 80s when that, when that sort of stuff happened. Do you mind sharing one of those stories between Azinger and, and Seve? Yeah, well, I mean, there was there were definitely things about, you know, people moving and people coughing and people jiggling change. I think those were some of the things. Um, there was a story um, that I read the other day. It was just a just kind of a cut-out piece. Um, it happened to Ken Green, and he – I don't know who – he might have been paired with Calcavecchia in a Ryder Cup, and they were playing uh, Seve and um, Olafaba, who were partners uh, for life. You know, those guys yeah. were always paired together. Um, and Ken Green had a short putt, and I think he he just it was like a, f- a foot or something like that, and he and he picked it up, and um, you know Sebi really started to get on you know Olafable, and they basically were like, look, I'm not going to win this way. I mean, this is a, you know, and so there's there's stories of that, but I think it's the jiggling of the change, the slow play, the coughing in the back swings. I think. And there's probably a lot of other things too, um, you know that uh, that I've you know I've seen, and you can probably read. I'm sure you can go read Paul Azinger's book, and he's, he's probably got a lot of that stuff in there. But um, hey, you know, it was uh, it was it was at a time when the United States was you know winning the Ryder Cup weekend or you know year in every you know they were right. just always winning winning it. And the Cup was always staying in the United States, and so. Maybe just the drive to the pressure to win that cup like led some people astray. I don't know, but uh, they make for interesting reading, and it just goes to show you that you know, look, it's it's um you know guys want to win and ladies want to win, and um and as I said, I'm not I'm not willing to resort to a certain level of play. I'm you know I'm going to play at the same same speed. Um, that, you know, if someone's going to try to slow play me, I, I just don't let those things really bother me. And I think a lot of the times the stories just kind of get kind of get blown up and made bigger than they really are. Um, they're funny after the fact when you see, wow, like I was really doing that, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, whether they, you know, um, always call in a referee to say who's who's away or, I don't know, it's just a lot of things, but. But going back to the to Lady yeah. Solheim Cup, it was it was great. It was it was justice for the American team right. to to rally and to play as well as they did on, in the singles matches. And ultimately, that's that's how you get your redemption or your revenge or however you feel on that um, by winning. And um, you know, I I think that the American team can kind of get back in their team room on Sunday and I'm sure a lot of this stuff is discussed but it's hard to watch it's hard to watch golf with people breaking down on the green crying and stuff like that it's it's hard yeah. to watch that but it's a it's an emotional game and um you know I think it's a it's the greatest game and that people uh you know you have the opportunity to treat treat your opponent with a lot of respect and um I think that's what everyone tries to do it doesn't always doesn't always happen that way because you have a lot right. of personalities. But in the end, it was great to have the American team um, get their just desserts and, and bring back that cup. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested when you you you've mentioned a couple of times you know, guys slow playing you. Is that 
Did yeah. you see? Did you see guys that normally play at a, 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 a let's say brisker pace that slowed down because they were trying to throw your game off a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean that's happened a couple times. It's been it's been a, it's been a long time. Um, yeah. You know, but but um, I'm I'm not look I'm not an overly fast player anyway. I mean, just compared to some of the guys like Chris Riley and Joel Ogilvy and and there's a few others out there that play play pretty quickly. Um, but again, you know, people will try to use any any advantage to try to get can. an edge um you know to try to get an edge and that, is that it breaking the rules absolutely not is it in the spirit of the game probably not but <laughs> right um you know it's i don't know it's it's like when you, you play another team in basketball you do try you know things about the other team they're an up-tempo team you see it in football you know what what does notre dame do notre dame does it and i think northwestern does it and i don't know if michigan does it. i think they play on turf now but if they're going to play a fast running team, what do they do? They grow the grass up. Right. I mean, they make you know they grow the grass to make it longer to slow the game down. So there's a lot of things which I don't agree with. By the way, I mean I think all the fields need to be maintained to a certain level. I mean, right. um, all the dimensions of the of the of the fields are are that way. So there's a lot of things I don't agree with um, of doing that. But that's that's one example. You know, the teams will you know they'll grow the grass up a couple weeks in advance of a of a of a team that just can run it down your throat and um that's all part of it too. So um yeah. it's out there and uh people do it not not always do not breaking the rules, just maybe not always in the best spirit of the game. Right. And Sean, uh, earlier we were talking with uh with Steve Mona about the importance of uh Olympic golf next year and you know for, for you know the broader view and the growth of the game and introduction you know to what it means you know you know globally particularly over in in China and Japan and in in those areas you know as, as a player out on the tour you know do you see it that way do you see how important you know the 2016 Olympics are because, as Steve pointed out, it's only guaranteed to be in the Olympics twice, and if it's going to you know continue to be an Olympic event, it really has to come off really well down there in Rio. What are your thoughts about what we can expect to see, and what you know you guys as players out on tour feel about the you know golf being a part of the Olympics? Well, look, I love watching the Olympics. I, whether it's I, I love the Winter Olympics. Um, Me too, you know, but I. I really do. I just love all the different sports and the skiing and the and the bobsledding and 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 I really I really like that. And um, so I watch the Olympics and I and I appreciate what it must take for these uh, most of them are amateurs to put their life on hold for four years and train and and uh, because it's got to be hard to do. I mean, when when the next Olympics, when you're done with one Olympics. And then next thing you know, you're 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 basically almost four years out from the other one, and you're starting to train for four years. It's hard to look that far out and just motivate yourself and continue to compete. Right. Um, you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, clearly, I'm not I'm not involved. I'm not I'm not invested in, and I'm not going to be on the team for. So um, I don't know how guys are really reacting to it. I think people have watched. We've all watched the Olympics and have seen how great they really are. Um, to be able to share um, your sport with your teammates um, and with other uh, countries and cultures and stuff like that and to, to be around uh, different people. Um, I think there's more to the Olympics than just playing the actual sport. It's the camaraderie that each of the team feels by spending time with, with other teams, um, you know, getting to know them a little bit. Um, but 
I don't know. The, the, the qualification process seems to be somewhat complicated um, about the numbers of guys that can play. Um, you know, they they uh, uh, they've had a lot of issues. Um, you know, with the design of the golf course, um, an impact on you know Rio and the people and displacing those you know people from uh, you know their places to live. You know, in the process of building the course. So there's a lot of there's been a lot of negative like a lot of negativity at this point. Right. Um but I do I think it's going to be great for the game? I don't I don't necessarily think so. I still think that the PJ Tour and all of the things that are associated with that with the great players that we have in Jason Rory and you know Jordan um you know the major championships, the World Golf Championships, the FedEx Cup, those things um you know, those are the things we see year in and year out, and that's that's how the guys make their money. Um, but being part of an Olympic team, I think, would be really cool to to spend some time with some of the other athletes. Um, you know, Michael Phelps, if he's going to qualify for this next Olympic team, I think it'd be cool to kind of meet him and hang around him and, and maybe pick their brains a little bit on on their philosophies and and maybe yeah. to learn something. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. Uh, I think it is a lot better for other countries that are trying to to grow their game. You see that when, um, you know, the Masters invited that young uh, Guan, um, you know, a couple years ago to the Masters. Um, Not that he wasn't when he, I guess he won the the Asian Masters and he qualified and, um, you know, how much money uh, was made um, by the people down in Augusta by having the viewership um, of, you know, over a billion people, you know, in in China. So, um, I think it's maybe more significant for other countries to have their national heroes be sports figures and to break through some of the barriers that may that may exist for them. Um, you know, I've seen that before, too, with players uh, on the golf, that, you know, they're born in the United States, they're of a foreign descent, and when they play in the United States, they're from here, but when they play in the foreign countries, they're from that the other country. So I've always kind of found that a little bit, <laughs> a little bit odd and, and you're kind of like okay you know well, it must be nice to have you know live over here and and be be you know of asian descent or whatever it is and be able to play under their flag because now you're basically getting you know it's just it's just an interesting dynamic but uh i do understand that um as i said a minute ago you know breaking through some of the barriers that may exist for these people of, of kind of getting out um you know, in front of, uh, you know, I think they get a lot of support when, when, a, when a country recognizes the talent level of a, of a person, you see, they put forth a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of time in making sure that this person kind of gets out of town, if you will, and, and makes it. And, um, I think it's great, but as far as the Olympics in the United States, I love watching it. And, uh, certainly I would love to play in it. Um, but I don't, um, you know, would you rather win an Olympic medal or a major championship? I don't know. It'd be nice to have both, I guess. But, <laughs> um, question has been asked, will be asked, right? Um, and maybe after that person wins a medal, it might it might be more significant after the fact. So um, it'll be interesting. I think there'll be a lot of viewership. Um, I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to see the golf course and, and kind of what they've come up with down there. And um, you know, I uh, I'll be coming around in the year. So there's a lot of stuff I'm not trying to get ready for. Um, you know, trying to get to who's qualifying and everything else, but it'll be exciting. 
All right, Sean, let's get into some of our listener questions that they have for you this week. The first one is, how excited are you about going back to Oak Hill for the PGA Championship in 2023? Yeah, that was, was great to see. You know, I think, um, look, each PGA that I play in, I'm excited to, excited to be there. Um, you know, at my age, as the years are kind of going by, um, maybe my ability to compete, I I did put something out in social media. I got a, I got a call, um, a, an email from someone down in the PJ offices that that asked me if I would kind of go um, to social media with a couple things, uh, you know, after they were going to make their announcement, and uh, which I did. Um, you know, I was thinking about that about how many you know PJ championships am I going to compete in? I mean, I think I'm exempt till I'm 60 or so. Um, I don't suspect I'll be playing probably probably even playing golf at that age. Um, and I was thinking kind of to myself about maybe the, maybe the one at Oak Hill would be the last one that I would play in. Um, you know, I'll be 54. Um, I'll still be eligible to play the senior PJ championship, um, you know, as being a senior a champions tour player. Um, so maybe that's what I'm going to do. I haven't, I haven't thought that through. That's still a long way off. And I, as I said before, you know, it's hard to look that far out. I mean, it's exciting. I know that, uh, the PGA loves kind of getting their sights set and everything. There's a lot of prep work that they have to do, um, to get those courses right. Probably it's probably a couple year process and, and maybe not as long, you know, when you have, uh, you know, a, a routes and stuff and you know where everything is going to be built um you know you don't have to make it maybe make as many site visits but yeah i'm excited about it um the golf course was totally different in 2013 than what i saw in 2003 which you would you would come to expect um they'd added a few tees uh changed up the 15th green uh really redesigned the 15th green and um you know other and and that but um Conditions were softer, much softer than we saw in 2003. So it played very long. And uh, it was an emotional week for me in 2013. I, I, I was playing okay, but I think just emotionally I wasn't I wasn't invested in the tournament so much because I had, when I won in 03, it was just, it was just Stephanie and I. It was just me and my wife um, there. And to be able to have my entire family, of course, you know, my mom passed away. It'll be five years in October, and um, you know, so she obviously wasn't there. But uh, so just emotionally, I was just not invested in playing great golf that week. I wanted to play great golf, but I spent my time even even during the tournament rounds um, thinking about what had happened to me in '03, the shot that I had hit, where I was in the fairway, where I was on the green, just how I was feeling. So hopefully in 2023, I'll I'll be be able to get past that stuff and who knows maybe that will be my last one and and um that might be a good one to go out on do you ever go back to oak hill just as a a course of you know having been uh, you know uh, having won a major there and, and and to allow yourself to to relive what that was like and to and to bring back some good memories yeah i don't know i've only been back one time i mean other than the two tournaments that i played i, I was back Sometime I think it was in uh, it was either 2004 or 2005. I was back for uh, it was probably 04 because they had put the plaque in. I remember that. And yeah. um, so no, I'd only been back one other time besides the golf tournament. It's hey, look, Rochester, New York's way up there. Um, <laughs> you know, I I get you know I get notes from people up there. Um, you know, I see people out. 
uh, went on plan that were were there. Um, matter of fact, there's uh, uh, I think there's a, a young man that that I think is committed to the University of Memphis golf team. I believe that is from Rochester and is a member at Oak Hill. Um, I, I went. Uh, um, you know, being kind of busy, I'm, I'm a I'm a volunteer assistant golf coach for the men and women at IUPUI in Indianapolis, and um, I've been kind of involved with helping the helping the ladies, the University of Memphis Lady Tigers had a had a tournament at my home club here in Memphis about three weeks ago, and then I went and spoke to uh, the University of Memphis golf team last well, it was just a couple of days ago, uh, I guess Wednesday I went and. Um, and then I, I learned that that uh, this young man was, was going to come. I haven't met him, but um, look, I love the place. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful golf course, but uh, um, I just there's not a whole lot of opportunities to to really get up there and, and go see it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a beautiful place, beautiful part of the country, great people, um, and um, so anyway, it'd be nice to get back up there at some point, but. Um, we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. All right. Our next question is: uh, If you could call any three guys and go play golf with them, who's who, who's getting the phone call? Oh gosh. Well, you know, I I uh, I, I would I would love you know my dad to be a part of that group. Um, he uh, is the one that really him and my mom both you know spent a lot of time and money and. Uh, supported me through, you know, my younger years and, and, uh, even to today. Um, so my dad would certainly be one of those. Um, you know, I, you know, Jack Nicholas would be, would be somebody right at the top. I mean, I go back, Kerry Middlecoff would probably be the other. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of the, the guys that really kind of paved the way for the PJ tour, um, uh, to be as successful as it is. Um, the stories of Byron Nelson and Sam Snead and, and, you know, Chichi Rodriguez. And I mean, all these guys that I used to see when I was a kid growing up at Colonial Country Club when they would have the Danny Thomas Memphis Classic. I mean, um, I, I never really had a favorite golfer. Um, but, uh, you know, having those other guys, uh, you know, being a part of, of the foursome, I think would be incredible. And I don't know what course I'd love to play. I mean, there's, there's so many so many courses out there I'd love to play, but but uh, I think if you ask anyone, any 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 player, it doesn't you know you don't even have to be a professional golfer. If you were going to play somewhere, where would you play? Yeah. And I would say that everybody's going to include one of their parents, um, right? The one that really got them introduced into the game of golf. Um, they're always going to be there. And fortunately, what was great, what was great, in 2003, I got invited to play at the Dunhill Links Championship, which is the it's a version of Pebble Beach. Um, you know, you play with an amateur and you play the old course. You play Carnoustie and you play Kings Barnes. And so I um, I was asked to come over and play. And I said, look, I'll come play as long as I'm allowed to bring my father as my partner. And uh, they said, absolutely. And uh, so my dad and I spent wow. eight days over there together. We flew over on a, on a, on a Gulfstream jet out of New York um, with some friends. And stay at the old course hotel, and it was uh I would say it was kind of my repayment um you know if you look at it that way to to say thank you to my father for um you know kind of getting me introduced into the into the game of golf um and always being there to support me and uh we had a we had a tremendous time and i i I've been back several other times 
not with him, but uh, we still talk about that. And um, so my dad will always be a part of my a part of my foursome. Yeah, mine too. By the way, that's a great yeah. story, though. Sean, you know, from from you know, this is a question for me, not one from one of our listeners. But right. you know, with it with it being football season now, uh, you know, if we have a great finish at the Tour Championship, and maybe they're getting lucky because you know, here in Atlanta, it's raining right now, so maybe yeah. they get lucky and it rains out today's round. But if but if it didn't, and we have a a great finish tomorrow, you know, Sunday, football season no one's going to watch it. I mean, there's going to be 10 people watching that golf tournament, which might end up being a, just a fantastic finish. Should the, should the tour come up with a, you know, a better way to present its, you know, it's, you know, whether you think the FedEx cup means a lot or not as a fan, I mean, it is sort of the culmination of the season and it is going to crown yeah. the FedEx champion. Do they need to come up with a better way to present that as opposed to trying to do it on Sunday afternoon when the NFL is king? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, you know, I I think I have heard some things uh on on different uh, you know, radios uh, broadcasts about you know, maybe not finishing on the weekend, maybe finishing on a Monday or finishing it on a Tuesday. Um, it seems like to me the dynamic of uh TV viewership versus I will call them fans in the stands has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that the TV is the most important way, uh, probably the best way of kind of getting your message across um, and your brand and, and those types of things. Um, you know, for an example, let me deviate for just one second. If you look at Europe, you know, um, and I, I enjoy watching European tour, tour golf. I, I've played a lot of those courses. I know all the guys, and so I enjoy it. But if you watch, if you watch the TV over there, there's nobody – there's nobody watching. I mean, a few places you see a lot of fans, but for the most part, it is a TV-driven event. And maybe that's the way the tour needs to focus more on. I mean, I think that by having, a, you know, on the weekend, you're getting a lot of people in the stands and, and, and that. And, and, of course, that does something, you know, to to sell FedEx. It sells Coca-Cola and all the other sponsors that are participating. But, Maybe the viewership is better, and it profile obviously it's going to be. I mean, you can attract millions versus you know several hundred thousand, um, you know, just by just by keeping it on TV and putting it in a prime time. But now, look, you got Monday night, you got Sunday night football, you got Monday night football. Um, I don't know if if, if there's an issue. I um, I think that's they've been trying to battle that for a long time and how to do that. I think you just have to realize that. You know, there's going to be people going to be people that are going to want to watch golf, I and mean, you're going to have your diehard fans that uh, are going to watch golf over over the NFL on Sunday. But um, I'm sure there's some analytics out there that just that shows that that some of these sponsors aren't getting their money's worth. And if that's the case, then I guess they're going to have to retool it. But mm-hmm. I'm not privy to that information. Um, you know, I can say that I'm not probably going to watch the Tour Championship. I'm going to watch college football today. Um, I'm going to uh, go to my child's soccer tournament this afternoon. Um, tomorrow I, I might watch some golf. I'm not, I'm not a huge NFL guy, um, but um, it, it, there's a lot of conversation, so there must be an issue there. I mean, and the issue is going to come from the sponsors basically saying that I'm not getting the bang for my buck. And right. when you start having sponsors say that, that, that presents a big problem for the tour. Um you know, like I said, you want fans in the stands. You want to see the 16th to 18th hole. You like to see them five deep, you know, um, and they will be. 
I mean, people people love going to watch golf, and I think golf in a live as a live event as being there is is really pretty incredible um, to be out there and to to see all of the kind of tactile things. You know, you can see, you can hear, um, you can feel the conditions. It's hard to sit back and just watch it on a flat screen. And the commentators do a great job, but it's it's a difficult sport, I think, to watch on TV. And I've known that for a long, long time. Um, maybe it's because I play the game and I just yeah um, don't really pay that much attention to it. I don't know. But it's golf is just one of those sports that you really need to be there um, to really, I think, uh, just get a feel for, for everything, to see the course, to see the type of surface that these guys are playing on. Um, you know, and I think always being in events is better than watching them on TV. But um, anyway, there there must be an issue there because it's brought up quite a bit. But what what their solution is, I I just don't know. I mean, because where are you going to end? When are you going to start the season? You going to start the season in football season? I mean, some would argue that the season's too long as it is. Right. Um. You know, even with this wraparound schedule, what I think has really done a good job in embracing the events that we used to call the fall series. Um. You know, so uh, those those tournaments are extremely important and relevant, and we're all happy to have them on the schedule. But what do you do? Um, it's, it's amazing that a sport that, that is able to play, you look at college football that's made up of 12 games, and then you got ball games and, and things like that, um, just how hugely successful they've been able to be. I don't know if it's the violent nature of the of the game. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, the amount of support the conferences that you're in. Like, I'm in the Southeast, so even though I support the Memphis Tigers in American Athletic, you know, I do follow the SEC. My wife went to LSU. I'm close to Ole Miss. Um, you know, you're getting bombarded with, with uh, Facebook sites like Saturday Down South and those types of things that are really promoting the sport. And I just – I don't see that – um, you have the Golf Channel and you have the PGA Tour and you have Golf Magazine and Golf.com, you know, they're the same, um, that are really kind of promoting golf. But, I mean, there are so many outlets for other sports, for the college football, and so many more writers, so many more articles. Um, the daily fantasy leagues with, with FanDuel and DraftKings, the, right. you know, the arguments are being made is whether or not this is, is it is it legalized gambling uh, versus skill. I mean, there's a lot of things. And I guess there is fantasy golf, right? Um, I, I just I don't know how successful it's been, or you know. But there's a lot of great things that these other sports have to offer, and um, I guess the guys at the top are running this golf golf show. Better figure it out pretty quickly. A couple more questions from our from our listeners before we let you go, Sean. Uh, first, who who puts on the uh, best pro am? Oh, you well, I don't know. You mean you mean like at a tournament site or an outing? Yeah. Or I'm, matter of fact, because I'm doing one on Monday. Uh, or Tuesday, oh, is that right? In Norfolk. Yeah, I'm going up to do one's uh, Toby's uh, Dream House, um, Dream Foundation. Anyway, it's it's like Make a Wish. So there's a bunch of us going up there for that. But um, oh gosh, you know the pro ams. I mean, I uh, well, I mean, we I think a lot of the people really embraced when they would play in Charlotte, and you'd have two amateurs. Uh, but I love all the pro-ams, to be honest with you. I, I, it's, it's always something I've uh, really enjoyed playing. Um, I, I think the AT&T being a, being a pro-am as, a, as an entire tournament 
is uh, is pretty incredible um, to be able to share three days with uh, either another celebrity, just another another person out there that's that just loves golf. Uh, those are all great. Um, golly, I'm thinking of the best pro ams that I've played in. They just get the most. <laughs> you get a lot of stuff. The Sony pro am is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the used to be the you know the one in, the one in, in in Honolulu at the start of the year. Well, what it used to be the start of the year. You know, you play. I played with, uh, you know, spent some time with Kevin James and Adam Sandler. Went to dinner with them and all of his Happy Madison group. You know, Jack Giraputo that runs Happy Madison. If anybody watches any of Adam's movies, you'll see yeah. Happy Madison. I spent went to dinner with him a couple times. Um, so I got to meet them. Um, played with a lot of the big big time people at Sony, uh, which is a huge corporation. Um, I never realized how many divisions they had. But, you know, they give you all sorts of stuff. Sony gift cards, you get DVD players and all these things which were great when my children were little because you take these portable DVD players and you take them to restaurants and potatoes <laughs> and you can actually enjoy a nice dinner with your, with your, with your wife, you know? So, um, but yeah, you know, um, Tiger, you know, um, we had a pretty cool pro-am at, at, uh, at Tiger's tournament in, uh, 2003. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get invited to play one time and, and that was that was really cool, and and um, he gave out a um, we got a Vespa, you know, kind of a moped, kind wow. of a scooter type of thing, and um, so some people look at pro ams uh, as being you know where are you going to get get all sorts of stuff, and I had referenced that one in reference to Sony, but they're all unique, they're all fun in their own ways, and uh, because the people you're playing with, um, they're excited to be there. Um, you know, they've picked you to play. It's not like, you know, they draw a name out of a hat and they're stuck with you because there are some there's some anxious moments with that. When you haven't been maybe playing as well and everybody wants to play with the notable players, and we all understand that. And and I, I've always kind of been like, oh, God, these guys are stuck with me. They're probably, you know, <laughs> going to stuck with Sean McKeel. And which it, I never thought about that so much in the beginning right after I won the PGA. But, you know, something I think about now and – so I think for me, I try to make everybody just, just really have a good time. Um, I'm, I'm always there to help people. We tell stories, and I get to know the guys. Uh, you know, I've played with some really cool players. Yogi Berra, I played with him. I think I played with him three times. Is that right? In the Bob Hope. And uh, I got to know him. Uh, well, I say I got to know him well on the golf course. But, um, you know, I got to play with um, – Bert Rutan, who does, who's a, who's an aerospace engineer that's designed this thing for Richard Branson, these, you know, the Spaceship One and Spaceship Two that are supposed to be taking, uh, you know, citizens up into space, which I'd love to sign up for. I'm not going to pay for it, but I, I'm here to go up. You know? And so, you know, um, I've just been, they're just, they're all fun. You know, when you, when you can kind of get some of these guys out of their shell a little bit and get them to talk. Um, you know, you realize there's a lot of interesting people out there. Um, and, uh, you know, my whole goal is to make sure that they have a great time. They want to play great golf, but I'm there to kind of uh, let them know that, hey, let's let, let's have a good time. If you need some help, today may not be the best day to work on it, but um, give them some tips on kind of how to, uh, you know, maybe fix their putting or, or just give them some ideas and some of the things that I think about when I'm playing golf. So, all the pro ends are fun. Um, the Sony Open was probably the best one with all the all the great things that uh, that they had to offer us after we got done. So, um, 
But anyway, they're all they're all great. One last one before we let you go, Sean. It's uh, it says, what events or you know tournaments have you played in where even today, uh, when you think back on it or get out there on the on the uh, course, give you goosebumps? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, certainly, certainly peeing, peeing off on Thursday in 2013 at Oak Hill, um, you know, that was certainly one. Uh, and there's been a lot of memorable, memorable experiences. Um, there's goosebumps for different reasons. There's happy goosebumps and then there's absolute nerves and sheer terror, which exists. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, man, I think all of that is based on how you're playing. Um, I was nervous this year at the PGA because I felt like I was playing some great golf and it was, you know, um, I felt like it was kind of my opportunity. It was, it was going to be my last term of the year unless I did something pretty special there. So I was pretty nervous at the PGA this year, starting on number 10. And, um, but you know, other, other places like, uh, you know, the old course at St. Andrews, Carnoustie, these types of old kind of historic venues where there's a lot of history and, um, to be standing on the tee and to walk across the slope and burn, um, you know, there crossing one and then coming back off at 18 and just seeing the old town there of St. Andrews. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing to think that those buildings have stood for hundreds and hundreds of years and that golfers from all over the world, uh, you know, have played there. So right. again, I get goosebumps for, for great things that I'm about to experience and for things that I I know I'm going to be stuck out there and wish I wasn't, <laughs> um, you know, but most of the time I get them for good reasons. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, uh, Hey, you know, you wouldn't be human if you weren't a little bit nervous. I mean, I understand that, you know, you may not, may not be too nervous on, on the T of a, of, you know, of a PGA tour event, maybe something that you've played in a long, long time. I mean, you find those types of nerves, as you get into the round, as the tournament kind of comes to an end and where your position is in the, in the tournament. But there are very few places really you step on the first tee that I've played, um, where you just look out there and you're just like, man, this is so cool. And, right. uh, you just kind of get chills and, um, you know, I'm just maybe not as fortunate as some to have played a lot of those courses or maybe just taking that for granted that I've played so much golf that I, I don't really, think of that you know i go back to what i said about my father and i playing together in the dunhill links championship um and uh to be able to share that with him to get him inside the ropes i know it was nerve-wracking for him because he's not out there just playing golf he was actually playing for for a real score and he wanted to help me and, and everything else i imagine he must have been pretty intense but it was really 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 neat to be able to stand on the first tee of the old course and uh, have him look out there and, and think, man, I'm in tournament golf mode here. And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just never forget that. So there's a lot of moments like that, but um, not as many as I would have liked. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. And, Sean, before before we let you go, remind our listeners again how they can follow you uh, both online and over social media. Yeah, I'm at Sean McKeel PGA on Twitter and then Sean McKeel and in Facebook. And I haven't really been doing a whole lot of social media stuff. I, I've been following following a lot of stuff and haven't had a whole lot to say. So, um, you know, but, but people that ask to follow me, I usually accept. So, um, anyway, that's where you can find me. Great. 
Sean, thank you again for uh, for joining me again this week. You know, I always I always get such a kick out of listening to the stories that you share and and answering the questions that uh, the people are asking of you. I uh, hope we can keep, you know keep it going and uh, keep getting your insights because you're you're so fantastic to have a part of the show. Well, I enjoy I enjoy sharing my experiences and uh it's just uh, it's part of me. It's it's uh part of some of the things that I really like doing and um hope we can keep it going. Absolutely. Sean, thank you very much for being here. Enjoy uh enjoy your weekend. Enjoy uh, your college football uh today and uh, we look forward to hopefully catching up with you again next week, but in the meantime, all the best to you and your family, my friend. I appreciate Chris saying to you as well. All right, thank thanks, you. Sean. That's Sean McKeel, folks, 2003 PGA champion, and, and above and beyond all of that, a champion person. It don't come better than Sean McKeel, I promise you that. All right, folks, it's time for me to be uh, to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. Before we do close up shop, remind you again about the great book that our friend Dave Stockton Jr. and his father, Dave Stockton Sr., have out there. It's called Own Your Game. Remember, folks, so much of the game, and typically we talk a lot about this on, on this show, not so much today, but usually we're talking a lot about, you know, the mental side of the game and that, uh, that you know, the game that we play between that five-inch space between our ears. So get your mind right in this latest book, The Stockton's Let You Know How to Play Winning Golf and How to Do That. Using your mind better. Own your own game or own your game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton at one of his highly sought after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion player both on the regular tour and the senior tour as well, plus being a revered coach. He he shows us all how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly now, folks, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy, and for a couple of extra dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph it for you. All right, folks, my sincere thanks once again to Steve Mona, Kelly Stenzel, and Sean McKeel for joining me today and making today's show so much fun for me to be a part of. We thank you for tuning in and choosing to listen to the show. We appreciate that very much. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me, my co-host Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe LaGianusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find us on the Armed Forces Radio Network as well as Blog Talk Radio and great sites across the Internet like you know, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Player.fm, and SoundCloud as well. You can find uh, Thursday Night Tailgate on Podbeam and Audio, uh, Audio Boom as well. We're joined every week on that show by uh, legends from around the NFL and the CFL. Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. You can find us online at this show, nextonthetea.net, and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, folks. Plus, keep up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be. Again, one more time, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Until next week, my friends. Hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA are legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical. Tail, hot! Get those taps!
tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands. Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, left, left and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. 